Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Other banks go out of their way to make redeeming credit card rewards needlessly complicated. Like how they require minimums or force you to use your rewards before reaching some arbitrary expiration date. But Discover isn't like that. With Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount, at any time. So you'll never have to jump through hoops. Unless you're like a trapezist, then by all means, go right ahead. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. Welcome to the Blue Room, everybody. Something a little bit different for you this weekend with Everton having already played on Friday. It's been a massive week this week in regards to European football and the rise and very sharp, dramatic fall of the European Super League. It's captured the attention of everybody, including the Labour Mayor for Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham, who I'm sure you're all aware of as a big Evertonian, been launching a campaign this week alongside Metro Mayor for Liverpool, Steve Rotherham, called Reclaim Our Game. So I was delighted that Andy gave some time up today to have a chat, a little bit about that, a little bit about what he's made at the developments this week and, of course, what he's made of Everton's season so far and the potential stadium move to Bramley Moor Dock, which looks like it's going to be happening very soon. So thanks very much again to Andy for giving up his time here. I hope you enjoy it. Andy, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, first and foremost, mate, um, what have you made of the past week in regards to the Super League, um, both as, as a politician and, and a football fan, really? Because I imagine it's been a story that's sort of straddled both of your major passions, hasn't it? I, I mean, what have I made of it? I mean, we knew they didn't care much for, for, for what <laughs> supporters th- thought, but my God, um, I mean, it's revealed so much, hasn't it? I, I think what it's revealed to me is how close the game is to the brink, you know, of uh, uh, major um, upheaval. Um, it just brings home how it could be taken off us in a heartbeat, couldn't it? You know, we don't control the game, do we, in this country? We've sold, we've, we've allowed it to be sort of, its soul has been sold many years ago, hasn't it, to, uh, to people who have no real sense of the traditions of English football. And that's where we are. Uh, and at least this week has flushed it out, I suppose. If you can, if you can see a positive, it's now laid bare for everybody to see, isn't it? Um, and 
I don't know. I just feel this time maybe we might get some substantial reform of football. I certainly hope so. Yeah, and I mean, I imagine from your point of view, and you know, I haven't read a lot on this which week, sort of, you know, immersed myself in the topic. I read a piece from from David Connor over at the Guardian, and he sort of made reference in in that to the fact that back in 1998, as part of New Labour, you were involved in a, in a group that tried to bring reforms in uh, into the game to stop this sort of thing happening back then. Is is that been a, a sense of frustration for you this week that you know this has been on the cards for a while now? It seems, and we just sort of kicked the can down the road a little bit with it. Oh, definitely. It's been uh, been coming, hasn't it, for a long time. And um, there's a lot of culpability in uh, all uh, Westminster politicians, I think, for, you know, what, what both of the main political parties like to do. In opposition, they talk a lot about football to pose as the, the friend of the ordinary man or woman. Yeah. In government, they just think, oh, well, it's all a bit too difficult taking on the Premier League. We'll just cozy up to them instead, you know. And, that's been going on for, well, at least three decades. I mean, David is a very important voice in this because he wrote a book called The Football Business in the 90s, um, showing how the old regulations that the FA used to have to prevent rampant commercialization of football were simply swept away. So there used to be a rule called Rule 34. You know, if people want to look back at this and, and, and look back at the history, that prevented... Um, you know, in many ways, it tried to balance the sporting um, uh, needs with the commercial needs, and it didn't allow clubs to become you know, rampantly commercial. Uh, and it was just swept away when the Premier League was created. And David wrote a book called The Football Business, which sort of, you know, uh, articulated all of that. And when I was then working on the Football Task Force in 1998, we proposed an independent statutory regulator for football to, to kind of step back in where the FA had given up, if you like. And... Um, yeah, there's a long history there. I mean, it's not a, you know, it's, for me, it's not a new thing. I mean, this week is almost like the culmination of something that has been brewing pretty much for uh, for 30 years since the Premier League broke away. Yeah, and sort of in line with that, you and obviously Liverpool Metro Mayor Steve Rotherham this week have sort of put your names to uh, an initiative, Reclaim Our Game. I'll quickly go through the five points for people who've not seen it. Uh, so government commitment to legislate the next Queen's speech. Empower supporters with an immediate 50 plus one law, greater supporter ownership moving towards the German 50 plus one model, single independence financial regulator and the rethink of the Champions League reform. Uh, is this something that you and Steve have been sort of talking about for a while and has been expedited by the events of this week? Or is it something that you sort of got your heads together and forth enough? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's something that you know, we, <clears throat> we've talked about for a while. Um, I used to chair a body called Supporters Direct, which was uh, set up to promote supporter ownership of football clubs. Uh, created hundreds of football trusts, actually, uh, of varying sizes across the country. Some own their clubs in the lower leagues. In the Premier League, some have um, you know, minor, minor shareholdings. But, you know, I've long argued for the <clears throat> supporter ownership of football to prevent what we've seen this week, you know, prevent the situation where a club built by generations of people that is you know massively significant economically socially culturally emotionally historically cities in which they play could just be wrenched out of them uh, you know a, a kind of as i say in a in a in the blink of an eye and that's where we're that's the position that we're in now um and so I've, you know, these ideas have long been, you know, in, in the in the formation. The new one was a fifty plus one rule as an interim now, as 
as a way of stopping you know immediate danger and what i mean by that is if there's any fundamental change to be made to a football club be it a change of league in which they play change of home ground kit name badge all those kind of things you would have to have a 51% majority amongst your registered season ticket holders. Hmm. And that is a really important reform that could come in tomorrow. And that's why I talk about the next Queen's speech. You know, that's coming in May or June. They could legislate immediately uh, to put that in place. And that will be an immediate safeguard uh, against you know, the clubs coming back and doing something, uh, something else. Is that the, the big step that you feel as though we need to take here then? Because I think obviously the government has spoke a lot this week in regards to the, the fan-led review that's going on at the moment. Obviously, Tracy Crouch is, is very much involved in that. Is, is the legislation the most important thing here that, that we can take those next, next steps forward? Because it feels like there's been a lot of talking done at the moment, but without that, we're obviously not really going to get anywhere. Oh, it's absolutely, it's crucial. The game's authorities have shown over... 30 years since the Premier League was created, that they are incapable of regulating the finances of football. They are incapable of administering a proper fit and proper person test, club licensing, look at the Berry situation. Um, they have stopped the big clubs getting bigger, the rich getting richer. I mean, they've allowed the game to, to get to this point. They've allowed the, their own sport to find itself on the brink of pretty much destruction, which is what it is if that European Super League was to have been created. And that's why a statutory regulator is, 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 is needed and legislation is needed. It can't be left to voluntary regulation by the football authorities. That has failed, clearly. So, um, yeah, I'm, you know, I know Tracy Crouch, who's leading the, um, the government's review. Steve does as well. We both like her. We both always have got on with her, even though she's on the, the other side. We, we have faith that she may well, uh, you know, make the right recommendations here and um, it will then be a challenge to persuade the government. But just everyone should make no mistake, legislation is needed to protect the future of football. You know, the idea that the authorities and the clubs say, oh, we're sorry, we'll, we'll just do it a bit better uh, next time. Well, don't believe it. Nobody should believe it for one second. Go back uh, just over 10 years ago when I was the culture secretary, I had another mad money-grabbing proposal to deal with called Game 39. Remember that one? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and so, you know, they've been there before and they will be there again, you know, with these ideas that just rip up the traditions of English football. They can't be trusted uh, with the, the soul of the game. Um, and so legislation absolutely is needed to empower supporters. A 51% rule giving re registered season ticket holders that final say over any major decision. That's number one. But then number two, a 51% rule that gives supporters trust first refusal on the sale of any shares so that over time they can build up to a 51% stake as they have in Germany. So those were the two proposals at the heart of what Steve and I put forward, backed by an independent statutory regulator. It's not complicated. I, I'm not saying that's all of the issues in football, by the way, mm. but those three things are things that would actually see off the immediate danger. I think that... I, I totally understand the proposals and I think you know they are fantastic what a lot of supporters want to see I think where I worry is that has, has this gone a bit too far now in regards to the, particularly the 51% fan ownership model because it feels a little bit as though as much as this Super League plan has obviously come crashing down this week if they wanted to do it they could have gone and done it and you know it feels like these owners you know these six clubs in this country in particular wield so much power now how, how do you get to a point where 
you can have fifty one percent fan ownership given you know how much power they have still. Yeah, I, I take your point. It is very much uh, sort of trying to shut the stable door, isn't it? and I, I I completely accept that. But we still should try and shut the stable door. Yeah, you know we are where we are. As I say, the game is hanging by a thread. Really, um, they could do whatever they like with these clubs, couldn't they? And, cause uh, absolute chaos uh, within the, the sport. But we've still got to try. I mean, the, the 51% law with regard to registered season ticket holders having the say, you know, having to be um, giving an endorsement, that is an immediate protection. Yeah. It damages the power of the owners. And I, that could be done. There's just no question of that. 51% ownership. Yeah, of course, that's a much tougher thing to do. But it's about creating a legislative framework that... that that sets us on a path towards it. So if any shares in any club are being sold, they should have um, to be offered on a first refusal basis to a supporters trust first. And some clubs would be able to get more quickly towards it than others, obviously. But it at least would put the game back on a path towards greater fo- supporter involvement and control. And you've got the, the season ticket holders, 51% rule, to act as a sort of interim before you get there. So... I think the two work together. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not saying it wouldn't be difficult to get there, but it, but it can be done. Um, and I hope you know the warning we've had this week will wake up a lot of people to, um, to to how serious this is. And by the way, just to say something, nobody should think that this UEFA package for the Champions League is is benign, yeah. and that's gone under the radar this week. Um, and I think we need to turn everyone's attention onto that. You know, automatic qualification just because. You know, clubs have been big clubs in the Champions League before, so they're reserving a couple of backdoor places for, you know, for for big so-called big clubs. Um, they'll kill the football. Uh, they'll, they'll kill the League Cup, the Carabao Cup, with this because they're going to make them play ten games in the group stage. So that will, I think, will be a death knell for the foot for the uh, for the football League Cup, the League yeah. Cup. Yeah, it's a bit like Super League, like that, isn't it? You know, in a way, in regards to those those backdoor entry places, it's. Uh... It is. Yeah, I don't like it at all. But just sort of broaden this out a little bit, you must have been galvanised this week by the way in which you saw supporters from all over the country sort of rally against the elite, against billionaires. Um, do you sort of look at that from a political point of view and sort of think, is, is there any way in which that can be harnessed into to everyday life a little bit more? Hi. I mean, I'm not, you know, in, in putting forward our plan, Steve and I weren't, it is obviously an election period right now. We weren't trying to make politics out of it. We just care about it. We, yeah. we've, we've been involved in this stuff uh, for years. And, um, you know, we, we if, if you think about the job we do, it's hard to imagine the three clubs that were involved. It's hard to imagine other entities that are more significant in our city regions than them. So it's, it goes to the heart of our jobs, really. And, you know, we, we had to act, in our view, to... Um, to provide a focal point for some of the anger um, and try and move it on a little bit. You know, that's what we, we wanted to, to, to do. But it is, it is inspiring to see it, isn't it? And actually the game is kind of united and this is what this is what those who own the clubs kind of constantly misunderestimate the power of the legacy fans in the, in the jargon of this, of this week. You know, we did it on game 39. You know, the minute I came out and posed it as culture secretary, it empowered you know, the Football Sports Association and others and everyone, and they killed it, stone dead. And the same has happened this week. So actually, supporters have a lot of power. And I think we're using it more cleverly now with social media, etc. You know, it's so it's, it is, no, I think the, if there's something as well that kind of gives us hope is that, you know, 
getting these clubs out of the hands of the supporters is one hell of a battle that these owners would have. They could try, but you know they they, um, they underestimate supporters at their at their peril. And the good thing for me was it was clear to me, you know, with City and United on my side and Liverpool on Steve's side, that the vast majority of people connected with the club. So I'm talking obviously obviously supporters, but players, manager, backroom staff, you know, most of the administrative staff. They didn't want. They had. You know, they had no clue about this and didn't want it either. So, you know, the owners made a massive, massive, monumental error of judgment, didn't they? Because they just burnt bridges with everybody, even within their own organisations. And I, I, I actually feel for the people who work for the clubs. Um, yeah. you know, I think they've been really, um, you know, really badly let down by by those at the very top. Yeah, we've seen players and managers obviously put in terrible situations all week. But just before you go, maybe a couple of questions. On the Blues, um, first and foremost, you must have been made up with the way Everton reacted to, to all of this last week. Um, I, I yeah, love the phrase, yeah. preposterous arrogance in the statement they put out. I thought that was a... Yeah. It reeked of a uh, Bill Kenwright special, that I think, didn't it? it Denise. <laughs> Do you think so, I yeah? Will, actually, but yeah. I, I love Denise, honestly. I, I just think we are so lucky to have a leader of our football club in terms of chief executive who is just one of the most humane caring, connected, decent, rooted people you could ever wish to be. And I don't know if you're the better, but I, I am an absolute staunch uh, supporter of, of, of Denise Barrett-Baxendale. I think she's absolutely brilliant. She's succeeded where so many others have failed before her. She has got planning permission on, on a new ground for Everton Football Club. She has got our values absolutely front and centre. And she, we are the moral conscience of football, which is, you know, I, I, I like that. I, I, like, I like the fact that the club I support leads the sort of, you know, the, um, the, is, is the conscience of football. And uh, long, long may that be the case. You know, that phrase when David Moyes first used it, the People's Club, at the time it was a little empty and that I'm not sure, certainly through the Johnson era, we'd, we'd behaved in that way but it's becoming more and more and more true with every year that passes and I think the person Bill definitely and I'm a big supporter of his as well I think he gets a lot of unfair criticism by the way you know he has steered Everton Football Club to the point it is now and everyone likes to praise Mr Mashiri and they should do but Bill Kenwright gets doesn't in my view get the credit I, I think he, he deserves but anyway that's a controversy some people will have a different view of that but that's my view um and I, but I do. I think the person who has instilled the values more than anybody in the club is Denise. And uh, yeah, I, I just think it's magnificent that in moments of crisis, there's no. They're not caveating, are they? They're not. They're not kind of thinking about relationships. They just call it right, and they they do it so often on so many things. And uh, long may that be the case. Yeah, and you mentioned the stadium there. Obviously, Blues have been sort of painstakingly watching this go through all the stages in regards to, to the council and the government. It, it finally feels like we're. Uh, we're close to it being built now, mate. Maybe some diggers down at Bramley Moor Dock soon. Um, how excited are you about that? I'm excited for the day when the Metro Mayor of Liverpool puts the ribbon <laughs> on a better ground for Everton than <laughs> the one we left behind somewhere in L4. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Oh, the, no, yeah. I'm so excited. So excited about it. Excited for what it means for the city as well. I mean, it would just be a, a phenomenal development within a, an area that will just boom. I think. I, I think, it, and, and the history that's around it will come back to life. And you know, I just think it's 
it's it's the right home for us, isn't it? It'll be such a hard thing to leave Gunderson. I think we're all dreading that, aren't we? It's gonna be like a bereavement that, but but it's the right place to go to. And you know, credit to people uh, along the way who also have played a role in this. You know, I'm thinking of Keep Everton in our city. I'm thinking of um, um, Gunderson for Everton. I think they were called. Cool. I was involved with them many years ago when you know some of those previous ground moves were touted. The likes of Dave Kelly and others, there's lots of people over the years who've, um, you know, we, 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 we worked hard to oppose that move to Kirby. And, you know, I think history shows uh, that, that the people who stood out against that were absolutely right to do it. Yeah, and very last thing you made there, obviously big one at Arsenal on Friday. Bit of luck involved, uh, if you have to say, but uh, we're right in this push for European football again now, aren't we? Um, it's huge getting over the line in that one on Friday. Funny though, isn't it? When you look at our goal, I mean, I just sent a little tweet saying, you know, uh, found it, you know, because you look at their, it wasn't just the goalkeeper, it was the defending running up to the, you know, that it was, <laughs> it was, uh, it was joke stuff, wasn't it? Um, so yeah, and particularly after the week that we'd had, particularly them as well. I mean, why were they, you know, what right do they have to be a founder member of the European Super League? I mean, Oh dear me! That was, anyway, so it was. There was no better way of capping off that yeah. week, was there? Uh, the, and almost winning in those circumstances made it made it even uh, made it even better, actually. But um, no, I, <clears throat> we're not been playing well, have we? Let's be honest. Um, yeah. But here's my message. I'm sure Carlo uh, listens to your. Uh, your, your <laughs> um, I have no doubt about it. So, Carlo, if you're listening, you've got to approach the next two games, Villa, and then West Ham as a cup semi-final and final you if we win those two games we are right in the mix and I don't feel we've been approaching games like that at the moment we seem a bit pedestrian uh, really get them up for these two games beat Villa and then beat West Ham and we are absolutely in the mix and when some of these other breakaway uh, lot get docked points for uh, for what they've done, we'll be absolutely in the mix. So, uh, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, no, but I think that's how I see it now. We've got, is it five games to go? I think four are winnable. I think we've got uh, six, haven't we? I think everybody else has got five. Have we got six, have we? So uh, yeah. maybe, it's, I think five are winnable. Certainly four. Um, so, but I think he's got to approach the next two, as, as I say, it's sort of like massive games like a semi and then a final, win those two games, momentum back, and then go into the, that final stretch. You know, we, we, we can do it. So we've been too lethargic recently. And I think absolutely they need to sort of, you know, snap out of that and, you know, really go at these, these next two games now. Wonderful stuff. Uh, Andy, really appreciate your time today. Thanks very much for coming on and, and best of luck with everything over the, uh, the next few weeks, of course. No worries. Thanks very much. Great to be on again. When you bundle your renters and auto insurance with Progressive, you could save money, but it doesn't cover any terrible memories living rent-free in your head. Hey, just wanted to remind you of that time your kicker missed the extra point and lost the game. Even though he literally never missed an extra point, he chose this playoff game to miss. Yeah, I just noticed you hadn't thought about that in a bit. Wouldn't want you to miss, you know, thinking about it. Sorry, we can't save you from that memory, but we could save you money bundling your renters and auto insurance with Progressive. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Renters insurance and bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Sports Social Podcast Network.